Welcome to Screen Time with Gary and Drew, movies and streaming and everything in between. We're going to do documentary today. Uh, so this is the in-between, a terrific documentary film that Drew has watched, is a big fan of. Uh, he recommended it. I checked it out on Netflix. Three episodes. It's called American Manhunt, and it is on the Boston Marathon bombing. And I will say it just the fact that it took 10 years for them to make this just shows the detail and the effort they went in to covering every little aspect of the story that that we all have in our brain. We all know it still haunts us. It's the 2013 marathon bombing. But there was new stuff, yes. which I loved. There was new stuff in it. And boy, it brought it all home. I mean, we're both Bostonians. Oh, so sure. We lived through it. And it really brought it up. It was very emotional at the beginning, I thought, you know, watching those people and, you know, it, particularly the first responders, it was great. But, you know, there was a lot of interesting stuff and the cast of characters were interesting. And like I said, there were things didn't know that I found most interesting. Yeah. First of all, we should give credit directed by Floyd Russ. Um, and uh, documentary filmmaking is not easy. And no. they, did a, they did a terrific job with this. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think what I enjoyed, and when I say enjoy, because it's a very obviously emotional topic, but what I appreciated about the film was when they did the recreations, it wasn't over the top. Uh, some, and they put something up to say, hey, we've done some recreations. Right, right. It made it hard to tell which ones were real and which weren't, frankly. Right. But I think, I mean, obviously with, you know, the Zanaya brothers, I mean, obviously, you know, those were recreated. But, you know, sometimes when you see documentaries or you see true crime, it's just way overdone. Yeah. You this know, wasn't. this was no. not. I thought there was a great balance there. Uh, and it brought legitimacy to the project. Um, and let's bring up the new things, Drew. What did you find? What did you learn that you found to be new? The the number one thing was the you know Boston Police Commissioner Ed Davis, who I thought was a very straight shooter, and his feud with the FBI on two particular things. The first thing was whether they should release the photos, which he right. said. Let's release them right away. Let's get the public to help us. The FBI said, no, we don't want to alert them. They'll go on the run. We don't know what they'll do if there's other people. So he understood both sides. But boy, Davis was firm. He wanted it. And then, you know, in a way he was right, I think, because what happened is what would have inevitably happened is if you tried to keep it quiet, how are you going to find out who these guys are without start asking around? And if you start asking around, there's going to be a leak. And if there's a leak, you're in the same freaking boat. And, and that's what happened. Apparently, they leaked the photos. He denied that it was him. I don't believe it was him, but I believe it was someone who felt the same way as him and said, I don't give a you-know-what, and he did it. And, and the FBI was right, too. It made them go on the run. It made them desperate. It made them more dangerous. And I, don't, I think it was unavoidable. I mean, I don't know what you would do in a circumstance like that. So, but, but the idea that they had that feud, and then at the end... The FBI guy, you know, Delorier and Carmen Ortiz, who was the U.S. attorney at the time, both said, oh, no, there were no other people involved in this. These were lone wolves. It was just the two of them. They built the bombs. And Dave was saying, no way these guys built the bombs, you know. And then you had the guy from, I think it was the Boston Globe, who's saying, oh, Tamerlan went to, you know, Chechnya, but he didn't get radicalized there, which I think is baloney. 
and he didn't learn how to build a bomb there. So you don't know what to believe, but they were on the other side of it because Davis was convinced this there were other people who helped them out, which, you know, and this isn't new. The wife was, they went after the wife. They tried to, um, you know, Tamerlan's wife. She clearly knew. She probably bought the pressure cooker, for God's sake, or right. used it for, you know, beef stew before they blew up the house. I mean, blew up the marathon. So that was the big thing that was new. The other thing was the victim, Karen, and her friend, Crystal, who died. She had Crystal's phone in her pocket when she yep. got to the hospital because a, a bystander she's out of it they said here's your phone and you stuck in her pocket well it was crystal so crystal's parents thought she was still alive and in surgery when in fact and and you know karen's husband or husband to be thought you know god she must be dead they can't find her that was that was new to me i also thought life is just so random because yeah. you know where karen was talking about her and crystal had a great spot and they said let's move let's go meet our friends no we got a great spot we're gonna stay we're gonna see the finish Man. i mean just like that just it's it's in, insane and also they talked about officer sean collier who was tragically murdered the mit police officer and this documentary didn't pull any punches no i they it did not pull any punches and i have to say you know off the top i have the ultimate respect for the police department oh <laughs> you know, man but, but this was I mean, this was a fluid situation. They had never dealt with this before. They were making decisions on the fly. So, you know, even they asked Davis, you know, if you had had not released the pictures, would Sean Collier be alive? You he know, probably. And, yeah. And he said probably. And he answered it. And it's like, I mean, it's so tragic. And you, you just I, I think you probably if you look back at this from an execution standpoint, I mean, of course you could second guess things, but who knew? I mean, it was crazy. It's interesting that Collier's holster, he had it so it couldn't be tampered with and they couldn't get the gun because the whole idea of killing him was to get his gun. Right. He only had one gun. And that was interesting. Uh, I think the Watertown shootout was a complete fuck up. And, you know, you can understand it, but they showed like hundreds of cars. Just you know, everybody wanted to get these this guy. So I don't know if they could have coordinated it better. It was the same thing. It got out, and there's, what are you going to do? It's like you know, what's well, a man coming back? I mean, right? And then and then, well, I actually, I, yeah, I I confused the moment. I was talking about thinking about when he was in the boat. Um, yeah, but but the Watertown shootout, yeah, and and even some of the police officers. And I remember talking about this at the time. A lot of those guys had never fired their gun. Oh, the guy from Watertown said he never fired his gun. And he's standing there emptying that damn thing. And they say, what was it, 210 bullets hit the houses? Oh, I know. And that's another And that's another thing the documentary did a very good job with. I never thought of that, collateral damage. Oh, I, mean, I did. Oh, my God. They thought about bullets. I showed a bullet in a baby's room, a bullet hole yeah. in a baby's room. Yeah. Oh, my God. It could have been catastrophic. And well, the he, police didn't have any experience with this. Nobody did. It's yeah, crazy. that's my point. I mean, it's like so much second. they didn't know. And, oh, and I mean, it really brought it back to because we were in the moment. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard the words shelter in place. It's like, what the hell? We got to stay home. And we did because Sean Collier proved you had to stay home because oh, yeah. it could be you. It's a lottery. It could have been you that they're coming after. And, you know, just well, that brings up the kid in the Mercedes, which was phenomenal well danny you know, knew the Danny's, story but they got into better detail here 
Well, and they talked to him, Danny Meng. Yeah. I mean, and if you want to talk about a hero, he is the hero. Well, they said it. He, yeah. he took off. I'm not sure I would have got that door unlocked and my seatbelt off in time to get out to avoid Tamerlan's hand because Tamerlan was reaching for him. Right. And I think at this time, where there is such divisiveness in this country, um, you know, for him to come forward and say, look, I love America. I mean, he came here in 2009, I think. Yeah, he, something like that. Yeah. In 2009, he arrived here and he said, I love America and this is where I want to be and this is what I want to do. And he, it meant something to him. So, you know, at a time when we have so many people just uh, racism is just on the rise. And it, I mean, it's just awful. I can't believe it's happening now. Here's a guy that comes to our country, an immigrant, like your parents, like my parents, right? And yeah. our grandparents. grandparents yeah. Yeah, grandpa yeah, grandparents. And he saves the day. And you know what was interesting? Is he got out of the car and he started running. If it's me, I'm in Harvard Square in about a minute and a half. <laughs> so I would have run. <laughs> like, I wouldn't have stopped. I would have just kept running. He went to the next gas station and yeah. told the guy to call the cops. Yeah. Bless his heart. You know, I would have just kept running. Just, you know, that that was pretty much, you know, and who knows? That those guys could have come right after him in the gas station, the, the other gas station. I mean, so, he's the hero. What a selfless act. I mean, what a, what a guy. I mean, yeah. and I... I'm glad they really focused on that and talked to him. Yeah. Because that a lot, I, I mean, a lot of people could have been frozen with fear. They never would have got him. No, no that's what did it. Cause that's sent them to Cambridge, then Watertown. Cause he had the car. Remember he had the, the GPS thing. He, sure. he memorized So they knew immediately where it was. Um, oh. The other thing that was interesting that they didn't, talk about a lot and probably because it wasn't part of a manhunt was the post-mortem which is joe carr's friends at umass dartmouth who all helped him get rid of stuff so he wouldn't get caught and i'm thinking man you guys know he killed these people it's all over the news he's your friend but he killed these people and you're helping him get away and i had a lot of problems with that back then and they didn't do as much of it here they just said they got convicted and they did and, you know, it's one thing to be, I don't want to be a snitch when you're in high school because somebody put a tack on the teacher's chair and sat on it and you don't want your friend to get caught, and, you know, get suspended. It's another thing. They killed, they, Joe Carr killed people. They killed a right. nine-year-old Martin Richard. I mean, for God's sake, you know, that, that I had, a, you know, I had a problem then and, you know, I, I wish they'd done a little bit more, but I'm not sure it was necessary because it was more about the manhunt than that. Uh, and then you got to the manhunt with the boat. Yeah. And I didn't realize that they had gone to that house. I didn't realize how close that house was. Oh, it was like a block away. It was a block away from the car. And they, and, and they at one point, Bill Evans said, I can't believe we didn't go in the backyard and look. There's a boat right there. There's we a didn't boat even there. look. I mean, what, you blood all over it, too, by the way. What's that? Yeah. Blood all over it. The outside. Yeah, in the back. I mean, but you would have thought that, and again, a second guess, if you go to the front of the house, you go to the backyard of every home. The end of the porch. And the, it, it's interesting. The owner was great. I mean, he calls up and says, I think there's somebody in it. There's blood. And, and they said, how do you know? And he said, I looked in. It's like, holy yeah. shit, he looked inside the boat. It, yeah. Surprised he get his head blown off. Yeah. And then. Another hero, by the way. Absolutely another hero. And then 
you know, and then uh, well, uh, Bill, yeah, Bill Evans, the superintendent at the time, eventually became a police chief. Um, then he comes back, and he he's there. He's the last guy there. They said, "Wait a minute, we got somebody." Then everybody comes back in, and he's like, "Stand back, stand back." And when yeah. the shots were fired, and somebody went rambling, went nuts again. But just like the water, you know, the shootout earlier, the water kind of—it's it's fortunate again, collateral damage. There was none. No, lucky. And then the celebrations afterwards. I forgot about those until I saw this. You know, people right. were really cheering. I think it was it was a release of tension. You know, totally. First of all, this was a horrible crime. And, you know, there was a release of tension, and I think it was natural. It was interesting they had the, you know, David Philipoff, who was the Boston Globe reporter, who wanted to understand why they did it. And he kept saying, you know, I'm not excusing it. I'm not in favor of terrorism. My father was on one of the planes that flew into the World Trade Center. Right, right. You know, but I want to understand it. But, you know, he went all the way to Chechnya, and he says he didn't get radicalized there. And, you know, the, the whole thing about Tamerlan was mad because he couldn't be on the Olympic boxing team. Well, you know, I mean, there, there's rules, you know, you got to be a citizen. You could be on the Chechen boxing team. Could have gone pro. Yeah, or gone uh, yeah, as the boxing team. I mean, he was a hell of a fighter. Pro. He was supposed to be good. He could have made some money. Yeah. And, and you know, don't blame America. You could have gotten a lot of money that you wouldn't have gotten in Chechnya if, if you became a pro right. fighter. Um, I don't know. I, look, there's no excuse for what they did. But you can always, it doesn't matter who kills who, Ted Bundy. Ted Kaczynski, there's always a reason why they do it. Doesn't mean it's a justification. Well, I mean, what, you know, there's a the, the justification is in their own mind. Exactly, it's their I mean, justification. And, and I will, you know, I will borrow, a, you know, a, an exercise from a theatrical situation where they'll say if you're playing, you know, if you're playing a bad person in a production or a film or whatever, that person believes they're doing the right thing. Yeah. Right. So that in his, in their mind, which is obviously not right, not right. There's a mental illness. I mean, if you kill somebody other than like self-defense, you're, yeah. you're trying to save your own life. I mean, you're mentally ill. It's just come on. Yeah. So there's a mental illness there that um, allows you to justify your actions, regardless of how unreasonable they are. Yep. And, you know, the, they talked about Joe Carr. They had his high school history teacher who. Loved the kid. And they showed great pictures. He was very social. He was a wrestler. He was decorated. He, you know, he had a lot of fun. He had a lot of friends. He got to college. He screwed up in college because he told everybody he was doing great when he was flunking out. But that's probably because he was selling pot, you know, and not didn't give shit or, you know, he was radicalized by his brother. Okay, you can be radicalized by your brother. It doesn't excuse you. It doesn't mean you, you get to kill people. Um, it was all interesting, you know, so... But, I mean, we will never forget Martin Richard, Crystal Campbell, and Lindsay Liu. Certainly, yeah. Officer Sean Collier. Uh, it is pain. When I say painful, this is a compliment to the filmmakers. Yeah. It's a it's a reality. It's it's hard to watch, man. I mean. it's This it's is an example of, of, of a really good documentary and what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to make you feel, learn, and understand. And that's what this did. And, you know, look, we're probably drawn to it because our connections to Boston and, and having gone through it, but nevertheless, this, you know, we're going to do our top five right. American manhunts after this. And, you know, you got to think about a manhunt. It's such an interesting thing. You know, I, I also think, I just want to say that the filmmakers did a good job with also speaking to the Islamic community uh, yeah. it, that represent, you know, the, the, the Islamic community that 
that wants to be here, that likes, that loves America, that worships in the manner they want to worship, and they don't, they are not represented by these murderers. No. And they, they, and it was they, their worst nightmare. Yeah, the, the, the guy from the mosque said it. Right. So it was my worst nightmare. Right. I mean, this is a peaceful man, yeah. right? Who just wants to worship in this country because we have freedom of religion, and this happens. And it's it is their worst nightmare. So great job by the they they covered every angle, and they didn't pull any punches. Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to watch a documentary. I'm like, ah, oh, do I really want to do this? But I've watched a few lately, and this one really I thought was really good. And uh, you know, it's it's the in between, as we said, movies, streaming, and in between. You know, it's a streamer, but it's not you know multi episode drama like night. The night right. agent, it's, right. it's real stuff. And, you know, they did hack the job. American Manhunt on Netflix, directed, directed by Floyd Russ. For Giuliano, I'm Gary Tangway. Screen time, streaming, movies, and everything in between.